Hello again, friends, and welcome to the Young Anglicans Podcast. The Young Anglicans Podcast is a place for conversation and discussion about ministry to teenagers through the lens of Anglicanism. It's hosted by me, Andrew Unger, and me, Eric Overholt. We're both real-life Anglican youth pastors who want to see young people find and follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. We're glad you're with us. At, just to be clear, we are real life Anglican youth pastors. Real we life. don't just play them on the radio. We are for hundred percent for reals here. We're keeping it real. This is not a radio drama. This is not Adventures in Odyssey. This is Adventures in Real Youth Ministry. Um, speaking of real youth ministry, we have a real website, YoungAnglicans.com, um, is where you can find out a lot of information about what's going on in the ACNA and youth ministry. So you can find out about our upcoming provincial youth gathering, June 17th to 22nd in Dallas. You can register now, register soon, make sure you get there. Uh, you can also find out about um, our youth ministers gathering happening in October. Both Eric and I are involved in helping plan that. I'm actually really excited about... It's um, going to be so awesome. ...what it's going to be. Uh, if you've not been to any of our national youth ministers gatherings, it's just a really great chance to, to learn and connect with other youth pastors. Um, I think sometimes doing Anglican youth ministry can feel very isolating um, because there's just not a whole lot of us. There's not a lot of um, books written on Anglican youth ministry, although that is changing soon. Um, (laughs) There is, there's just not a lot of resources and you can feel like, how do I do this youth ministry stuff? Um, A lot of us come out of evangelical backgrounds. And so that youth ministers gathering, October second through fifth, I, I cannot recommend it more highly. Put it on your calendars. There'll be registration information soon, and you can find it all on youngAnglicans.com. Um, Lots of other great resources on there. It's it's really good, actually, and it's been relatively recently redesigned. Uh, it actually yeah, it looks, looks good. really good. I'm enjoying scrolling through it here as we talk. It looks really cool, and um, yeah. Things, uh, other great resources, the Agape Year, uh, if you don't know about that, a gap year for, for students who've just graduated, uh, the Engage Initiative, Abundant Life Curriculum. You can find our podcast on there. A lot of really, really great resources on there. Uh, check it out. It's good stuff. Our podcast is on there? It is down at the very bottom of the homepage. Look at that. All it's right. even got our fancy dancy little um, uh, logo. Yeah. Well, look at that. Yeah. Um, I, I actually, can I just pick up on something you said too, uh, plugging the, the youth ministers gathering, which you're going to hear a lot more about that on, on the podcast in coming weeks. Uh, we actually haven't planned any of it. All we've done is gotten together with, with a few, few people that are planning it and just the conversations about what we're hoping that it's going to be have been so exciting that guys, this is going to be amazing. Um, uh, you know, and I guess I could be at risk of like hyping it too hard and then it winds up being a big disappointment, but Impossible. I really don't think it's going to be. And, and seriously, there is nothing better, I promise you, than being in a room full of other people who you speak the same language as them, that they care about young people the same way you care about young people. There's something about just the energy in that room and the camaraderie and the, you know, it's really great, and it's a really great opportunity to connect with youth pastors from all over the ACNA. So save the date. It's coming up in October. Find out more about it at, uh, at youngAnglicans.com. Yeah, sorry, you, I, took, I took over your promo. I'm really that's sorry. Fine. If you just like the idea of hanging out with Eric and I and talking about youth ministry, um, if you listen to our podcast and think, I'd like to be in that conversation, you can at the Youth Ministers yes. Gathering. 
Um, yeah, we will record at least one episode of this very podcast at the Youth Ministry That's gathering. right. We had plans to do it last time, but then uh, my wife got incredibly ill and I had to stay home. Yeah, we were very sad about that. So you have to pray for my wife's health and my kids' and health. And mine. And everybody's and health. Yes. And then we'll all get together and, and record some stuff. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. All right, so last episode we we talked about what this episode was going to be about, which is uh, do your students listen to Christian music? Um, Eric, do your students listen to Christian music? Oh, you ask me once again, you start off with a yes or no question <laughs> and I'm going to give you this long detailed answer here. I'll ask a better question. Tell me about the relationship between your students and Christian music. That's open ended. Yeah. Uh, I don't think any of my students listen to Christian music at all. Um, I don't even know that they know that Christian music exists yeah. in the modern world. Um, but so, as I often do, I'm going to give a little bit of background with me and kind of my relationship with Christian music. And so for me, uh, the music was always an important part of my life in youth group. And my, I, so I just loved music, and I, had, I was the guy that had you know, lots and lots of CDs, a huge CD collection. Yes, that is dating me. <laughs> I had a, C, a massive CD collection. But... I volunteered to run the sound in my youth group so that I could be the DJ, right? And so I would yeah. literally hook up two CD players to the soundboard so that I could mix my songs oh, and have a seamless transition between it. It was like real full-on radio DJ. And the rule, this also says something about me, the rule that I had for myself, this was self-imposed. The rule that I had for myself was that the music I played before youth group started, right, as everyone's coming in and talking and chatting or whatever, it had to be Christian music, right? Yeah. Before youth group, it had to be Christian music. But when youth group was over, that's when we could start mixing it up a little and we could start putting appropriate non-Christian music on there. So I would play things like Harry Connick Jr. and, you know, things like that. But uh, so... For me, Christian music, I, I grew up in, I was in youth group in, in the late 80s, early 90s, okay. more, more on the early 90s era than the late 80s. But um, so that was like the heyday of Sparrow Records with like Stephen Curtis Chapman. That's Stephen Curtis Chapman's early years. All right. And, you know, he's still around. Holy cow, that guy's been around yeah. forever. Uh, Susan Ashton, uh, Michael English before whatever happened with him happened with him. Uh, you know, those were Rich Mullins was was getting his start. This mm -hmm. was like the heyday of the, the early years of Christian music where they were, you know, the idea of a Christian artist was still relatively new. You're not doing worship music. You're just creating music that's yeah. Christian. Uh, for me, that was really important and I loved it. And I, you know, I spun those records even when mm. I was in my car by myself. You know, I, I knew every single one of Stephen Curtis Chapman's songs on every single one of his albums. Same with Susan Ashton, the same with. And then as I got later in my years, that's when uh, Jars of Clay kind of came out. Things got a little more yeah. angsty. By the time yeah. you came around, they were a little more angsty. Um, but DC Talk, you know, their Jesus Freak album, you know, that where they made that transition into that more kind of grungy um yeah, so th that was all an important part. And I, I loved Christian music. And for a long time, I didn't think there was any good Christian music being made. And 
I, you know, what I didn't know is that Stephen Curtis Chapman was still out there making music, which I, I don't have a problem with Stephen Curtis Chapman. Sure. I can imagine you bear some amount of contempt is too strong a word, but um, <laughs> I, I don't Might mind. Might not Stephen be. Curtis I don't know. Ch- <laughs> I don't mind Stephen Curtis Chapman. Uh, I, I appreciate his heart. Yeah. Um, and but I, it's more recently in the past few years that I've discovered, no, there's actually a lot of really good. I, what I would say is quite good. Christian music still being made. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Toby Mac. If you like that kind of poppy sound, that mm-hmm. like pseudo hip hop, you know, sound, you know, he's doing some he's doing some good stuff that my kids, my own children who are younger than teenagers, mm-hmm. uh, really love. Yeah. Uh, so it, there's stuff out there, and um, but I I just think most people don't really know about it, and it, it's it's part of that kind of fractured media age that we live in. Yeah. So. Um, he, so there's my long explanation, my long answer to your yes or no question. Did you two go in the before youth group or after youth group mix? I, I didn't listen to you two oh, much. Shame. Uh, I, I probably, I, beca- especially because I wasn't super clued in into like who Bono was and his whole, you know, journey, his whole, yeah. you know, Christian ethos. I would probably have put it in the after youth group mix Yeah. if I were putting it in. So, since we're being autobiographical, my own relationship with Christian music is, um, so my era, by the time I was in youth ministry, we're talking like, this is, mine is the heyday of tooth and nail records. So it's right as the sort of Christian punk scene is really blossoming. Mm -hmm. Um, That angsty stuff I was talking about. Yeah, angsty stuff. I mean that, and then the the sort of, that leads into the sort of Christian emo, Christian screamo Mm -hmm. scene as well. That's... That's a big part of my like quote unquote Christian music journey. Um, my favorite band of all time is Five Iron Frenzy, which is a quote unquote Christian ska band, um, and I love their stuff. And for me, um, there was a lot of value to a few songs that were like that they were they were sort of go to songs when you were feeling upset. There was sort of an emotional high from listening to them. And you'd almost go for your fix, right? Like I'm having a rough day. I just need to put on this song and get my, and and get my little hit of of emotion or comfort, which sounds like I'm being really critical of Christian music. I think that's just the relationship between adolescence and music, right? Like mm-hmm. we do mm-hmm. that with with lots of things. Um, lots mm-hmm. of people do that with any kinds of of music. I just need my my pump up song. I need to get my I need to get a, a good track on, and then I can sort of get a good start to my day. I think that happens a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And it was also, did you, I don't know if you had these kind of posters. I remember my youth room had a poster that was like, do you listen to this band? Try this Christian band instead. Like, it was all the safe <laughs> alternatives, right? Oh, I have always hated that. I, oh. I just, uh, like, even when I was a teenager, I rebelled against oh, that idea. Yeah. Um, so it was sort of like, do you listen to Blink-182? Try MXPX instead. Yeah. Um, and it, it's the way... It was also the era of, like, the secret undercover Christian bands that were in the mainstream. So, like, when Switchfoot became mainstream, you were like, I knew them when they were Christians. Right, um, right, right. I remember there was a big controversy when I was in high school when P.O.D. went on the OzFest tour. Like, and there was, like, are they being missional or are they selling out their Christian values? Yeah. Um, well, but see that see, and that that idea was more the dynamic when I was in youth group. We, it was still in the in the late '80s, 
where where if you went mainstream like Amy Grant did and like Michael W. Smith did, mm-hmm. if you went mainstream, you were a sellout. That just that was it. You're not making explicitly Christian music that talks yeah. explicitly about Jesus. You therefore are a sellout, and you're the worst person in the world. Yeah. And I never really understood it. It it just never made sense to me. Uh, I I happen to think that the music that they made when they went mainstream wasn't very good. But I I'll be honest, I never really liked Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith that much anyway. So. <sighs> Friends are friends forever, Eric. Friends are friends forever. I have a story. I think it's it might be apocryphal, but I think when Michael W. Smith came to Wheaton when my wife was there, um, they he wasn't going to play Friends, and the students badgered him until he did. Like they were like heckling him from the chapel until he played Friends. What, um, why? Why must this be apocryphal? Why, I'm okay, curious. I, I I don't remember. I feel like I remember hearing the story, but I don't remember the details well enough to remember that it happened exactly like that. This is just how I remember the story being told to me. Do you think he knew they were being ironic? And do you think they were being ironic? Because I think they were probably being ironic on some level. Well, because friends here, when, when did Michael W. Smith's friends come out? Oh, that would have been, it would have been the the mid to late eighties. So you got to imagine, um, probably 88, 87, Ah, uh, friends by Michael W. Smith, eighty-seven. Look at you. Look at um, that. So, so, so real, real quick, eighty-seven. I, I these say, kids I just, are like one when that song comes out. Exactly. <laughs> like they're, they're one to five when that song yeah. comes out. So, of course, they were being <laughs> ironic. Like yeah, no one. I don't think anybody born from like nineteen eighty on thinks about friends in any. At, at this stage of their life in an unironic way, in a genuine yeah, way. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, so, so in my church, I went to a relatively large, or actually a quite large evangelical church growing up and big, big middle school, big junior high youth group, big high mm-hmm. school youth group, both did a choir tour every year. And I remember when my brothers were in high school youth choir, their they did a whole like show, a whole like dramatic musical production based on Friends Are Friends oh. Forever. And it had sets with like lockers, like we're at the high school and you know, the, the end song format where everyone's linked arms on their shoulders and they're swaying back and forth. Friends are friends forever, baby. Uh, and I just remember they, they, the choir tours always culminated with the youth choir would come back home and uh, it would be a Sunday evening and they would do their performance of this show that they've just done on tour or wherever at the home church. And this was like the last time we're going to do this performance. And I just remember they're all like weeping. Oh yeah. At the end of it <laughs> because we're friends forever and our choir tour is over. Uh, anyway. Oh yeah, yeah. That is, that is a like Petri dish. <laughs> For adolescent emotions, all just just <laughs> stewing in that. Um, yeah. So I think my relationship with Christian music then going into college was this sort of like, I didn't listen to exclusively Christian music. I never like broke all my non-Christian CDs in an act of piety. Um, <laughs> that's a popular late 90s youth ministry thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. And then I got to a place, I think especially early in my ministry, where I was completely eschewing any Christian music. Like it was, mm-hmm. there's 
there is good stuff to be found and you know you don't find it you don't look for christian paintings um right now part of that is because a great a great majority of the history of western art was done during a time when there weren't any secular paintings um right but i sort of had this ideological like this division between sacred and secular is problematic and and a lot of explicitly christian music is watered down and is sort of cheesy and my sort of like my my cool kid status needed to come into play and um i think and if you imagine sort of like the sufjan stevens move like this is all about people who aren't explicitly christian in their identification but are clearly christian in content but also Mm -hmm. swear a little so it's kind of cool and (laughs) um you know it's that kind of thing i remember actually um really leaning into this with my youth group um when kanye west's my beautiful dark twisted fantasy came out um that album in case our listeners are not deeply familiar with Kanye West's discography that came out like a year after his big moment where he, you know, interrupted Taylor Swift on stage. I'm gonna let you finish, but Beyonce had the best music video of all time moment. And that album had this sort of incredible self recognition of his own like ego. Like it was this very much apology album. Like it felt very much like he was opening himself up to say like, I was terrible. Like this ego is terrible and needs to die. Um, mm. This is not long after his mother's death. Like it is mm-hmm. autobiographically a fascinating album for me. And mm-hmm. that's when I actually got, got really into Kanye was that album. Um, mm-hmm. His, <laughs> his next album, Jesus was basically the exact opposite. Um, <laughs> and he, and in interviews, I think he would say things like, yeah, I didn't actually mean any of those apologies. Like, I'm not Whoa. actually terrible. Like it was this, I was very disappointed and that actually soured me on ever listening to Jesus. I mean, near, but that was kind of like that, that moment with Taylor Swift, that was like for him. I, and I, I'm not super clued into the hip hop scene. I'll be honest or yeah. the pop music scene in general, but that he started really going off the rails at that point. Right. That yeah. was the beginning of some really, like he just started getting super weird. Yeah. If I remember um, correctly. And of course he's now a different type of super weird. Um, right. But that I remember leaning into that and saying, look, you can see these these themes of redemption and self-recognition of sin and flawed fallenness from this guy who's known for his ego um, and, and is also an incredibly talented musician. Um, mm-hmm. And so I kind of wanted to lean into that. Um, so my opening question, describe your student's relationship to Christian music. I think some of my students listen to Christian music and like don't bring it up at youth group um, mm. because I've created a culture that is anti-Christian music in my youth group. <laughs> like I think I've done a disservice. Um, and here's where so- I think I've done a disservice in that when I was in youth group, some of those more simplistic, um, not nuanced, but just very clearly Christian songs were like really Stephen Curtis Chapman. Like, like your Stephen Curtis Chapman. Like mm-hmm. there, there's a song by Five Iron Frenzy called "Every New Day." That was my that was my fix. Or there's another song by them called "Dandelions" that uses this metaphor of a of a little boy bringing dandelions in a vase 
to his mom and how to her they're beautiful flowers and um the the chorus is you know lord search my heart created me something clean dandelions you see flowers in these weeds and it's beautiful right like it's it's not it's a little bit poetic it's not terribly like nuanced or subtle Mm -hmm. um it's biblical even but it's biblical even and and as a teenager i remember that being really meaningful to me Mm -hmm. and i think in sort of wanting to try and raise the bar for my students i've left out the fact that they are still developing that part of their brains that are able Mm -hmm. to do more nuanced thinking and find beauty and complexity and things like that and i sort of Mm -hmm. overshoot and say like don't listen to any of that Right. Sunday school, silly stuff. Um, yeah, well, and look, we, we sort of hinted at this earlier, but I'll say it more directly now. I, I don't care for the the artists out there that are clearly the Christian version of of X pop star. Right. Right. I don't, I don't have a whole lot of I, that. That just bothers me. Right. Yeah. Because but I, I do think Christian music. Christian music gets a bad rap sometimes in that everyone, everyone lumps all Christian music in that realm. It's like all Christian music is only people trying to, trying to sound like a particular pop artist. And there's actually some really good artists out there that are, that have some distinction and that, that I think if they decided to make secular music, would they be a Kanye West or a Taylor Swift or something? No, probably not. They might not be quite that good, but they're quite good on their own. And they would probably have a good career as a quote unquote secular artist. Yeah. Uh, uh, There's, there's plenty of garbage out there. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of garbage. And there's even some people that I would say, and we're not getting specific here. And I don't think I want to, because I don't want to step on anybody's toes here, Sure. but there's even some people out there that I think are incredibly talented that I think are, are trying too hard to sound like something else so that they can sell records or so that yeah. they can have some sort of no, notoriety or whatever. And, and I, I, I hurt for them because I want them to be their own artist. That said, uh, I, you know, I still love people like Andrew Peterson, right? Mm-hmm. The modern incarnation of, of Stephen Curtis Chapman. Um, Sarah Groves, I think is great. Uh, Sufjan Stevens actually, I think is great. I yeah. enjoy it. You know, if I'm in an angsty mood, I'm going to put on some Stu- Sufjan Stevens yeah. and enjoy it. The same thing with, uh, Michael Gunger or any of those Gunger guys. Like they, they, they're a little less angsty, but still kind of trending yeah. that direction. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, there's, there's plenty of really good stuff out there. That's not even explicitly worship music, right? right. Cause to me, I, there's, there's another, you need to have, another genre out there that is worship music, which is great. And I enjoy listening to worship music. If you haven't listened to worship central and you want that really kind of Jesus culture, heavy pop worship music sound, mm-hmm. go check out worship central. It's really, really great stuff. It's coming out of HTB in London. Um, really good stuff. But there's so, so there to me, that's a separate genre. Christian music and worship music to me are separate and distinct genres. Okay. Like, as you're mentioning artists, there's um, there's a group just called Liturgical Folk, and they've written a bunch of they're, they're sort of that that folk style, but it's it's a lot of liturgical music. Yeah. Um, there's I think another we've done some of their music in our church services. Oh, nice. Um, there's a guy who um, I can't remember his name, but he did a, a songs maybe Greg La Follette is that his name? Who did a, an that album? Sounds, that on, sounds familiar. The name sounds familiar. 
um, songs of common prayer. Like he did an album based on, on book of common prayer stuff. I mm-hmm. really enjoy, um, Oh, and I, I can't remember her name. Curse my old brain. Yeah. Um, I'm going to look it up. Uh, Sandra McCracken. Yes, I was trying to think of the same, there same name, and I couldn't think of um, it. But yes, I love her as well. And she's a good Anglican. God yes, bless her. Yes, and that's... So I used to look at like um, mega churches that had sort of worship pastors on staff who were writing their own albums and sort of doing that. I remember for a while thinking like, that's ridiculous. Like that's mm. that's nonsense. But... Actually, it's it's in seeing some small churches that have like artists in residence or like mm-hmm. people, they might not be paid full time because the churches might not have them, but they're writing songs for their own community. There is mm-hmm. something amazing about that. Like I right. find, I find artists or poets or, or any sort of like musical or non-musical artist um, that I know, I end up liking their stuff more because I know them. Like because mm-hmm. I... I I know who they are. I know their voice. I, when I read stuff, I'm like, oh, that's great. Um, I read poetry by uh, a guy named Brett Foster who um, passed away a few years ago, but he was at All Souls and he was a professor at Wheaton. Um, and I read a poem he wrote about Ash Wednesday, I think. And, uh, and, and like he describes uh, uh, looking at a particular cross in the service. And it's like, I know that cross because like, I know the cross you're talking about. You describe it really well with his words, but mm-hmm. like I can also see specifically what he's talking about because he's describing the cross that we used at all souls. Mm, that's during really Lent. cool. Um, so cool. And that's, I think a really cool thing. And so, yeah, I, I want to affirm Christian artists making Christian music. And I think sometimes I, I downplay that because, I've bought into this lie of like, it's cooler when Chance the Rapper writes blessings um, or Sunday candy. And like, I, I, it's cooler because everybody knows that it, yeah. it's the same trap of like Switchfoot is cooler now because everybody else likes them. Um, right. And I don't want to pass that on. I mean, if pastoral work is trying to emulate for our students, I don't want to pass on to them a like, don't enjoy explicitly Christian music because you should be cooler than that and listen to what everybody right. else listens to. Like, that's a toxic message that I've probably unintentionally passed on to students. Right, right. but but let's also be clear. Uh, to me, it's it's part of the brokenness of the world sure. that a person has to either be a Christian artist or a non-Christian artist. Right. right? That that we can't, you can't have one, and it's it's because of the way albums need to be marketed and the way, you know, people make money doing this yeah. and you got to support people. And I, I get all of that. Uh, you know, I understand that, but at the same time, it bothers me this idea that you, you have to be one track or the other sure. and that you can't, I, I would much rather there just be the idea out there that you can just be an artist. If you are a Christian, inevitably some of the songs you write are going to be prayerful or going to be spiritual or right. they're going to be explicitly about Jesus and your relationship with Jesus uh, and and others are not. Uh, and uh, I, I don't see why that's a problem yeah. except that you, you eventually get into a boardroom at some label somewhere and they're like, who are we going to sell this record to? Okay, we're selling it to Christians, therefore we have to take these three songs off this album that are not explicitly yeah. about Jesus. And it, it is it is what it is. It's a reality. 
maybe someday I'll start a record label and it won't have to be that way, but I doubt it's going to happen. Well, oddly enough, that's, that's the other thing that we haven't touched on yet that makes me a little bit skeptical about Christian music is the recognition that in some ways it's a market. Like it is a, it's a business. And in some ways, the same way I don't buy pencils with, with Jesus loves you on them because I don't want to buy a Christian pencil and I don't care about buying like that. I have this pushback against the commercialization of Christianity. You mentioned, I think it was last episode. Um, I mean, teaching your kids about the problems with commercialization about, cause you're talking about Sabbath, right? Um, yeah. I don't want to then sort of catechize them into buying into products that get sold because they have a cross stamped on them. And the same thing with music. I don't want to, market to my students well this music is is uninspired and dull but it says jesus so you should so you should pay attention to it um i think that can be a real difficult thing and i think maybe it's too cynical but i think there are a lot of evangelicals evangelical artists um who exist for the sole purpose of like churning out more records that will be just the same pablum that you're just going to keep on feeding them and it's the same junk and we're going to do it because you're going to buy it. Um, I know some, some Christian hip hop artists. So like um, propaganda and show Baraka um, have run into some of those problems that unless they can appeal to white suburban youth groups, they're not going to make any money Um, because that's where the money is in the evangelical music industry is where can you find the mega churches to go play at and the, like that's a whole other topic we don't need to spend too much time on that but it's yeah, something but it's, that i, I mean, think it, about some yeah i mean unfortunately we live in a broken world and, yeah. and that's that's what we're talking about is, is things are broken and and we live in a in a world where people need to make a living yeah and it's hard to make a living as a musician these days everyone's on spotify they're not buying albums anymore yeah and and so Spotify you know, doesn't pay you anything either. Yeah, Spotify Spotify pays you pennies. So, I you know, it, I I don't have a, I don't have a clear answer other than to say that it's a little bit of a false dichotomy that either you you're making dull music that's explicitly Christian or it's this other thing. And yeah. that that's the that's the only thing that I'm going to push and I'm going to keep pushing back against. Um, especially because like you, there, there's songs that have been important for me in my yeah. life. The, the song from, from jars of clay first album, take my world apart. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, there have been times in my life that I prayed that and like literally like said that song over and over for a few weeks yeah. as a prayer. And then God answered that prayer and my life fell apart in a way that I wasn't expecting it to, and it really hurt and was painful. But I can look back and see this is God answering my prayer. Yeah. And and, and then good uh, as as God works, good starts to come out of those things. Um, but now I'm getting into my testimony, and we don't 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 necessarily need to go there. But um, let me let me bring it back around because there is another problem. So so we have a, a a student in in my current youth group who just. Uh, we went on a retreat one time and he was in the car with me and he was, he became the DJ for the car and he was mm-hmm. playing this music and he had, he had some really interesting eclectic, like uh, he was heavy on the late seventies and 1980s music, which really surprised me for yeah. a kid who was born in like, you know, the mid aughts, right. mid to late aughts. Um, anyway, 
so I, I asked him, I said, hey, would you like to be the DJ for our youth group? Knowing full well that DJ for youth group now means something very different from what it meant when I was in high school. Yeah. And it basically just means he's going to put together a Spotify playlist. Right. And, and I, I gave him that same rule that I had imposed upon myself. Before youth group needs to be Christian music. After youth group, as long as it's clean, you can play whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Well, he came to me after he started doing this for a couple of weeks. He came to me and he said, well, the problem is... Like all the music I really want to play is the music we would play after youth group, but nobody hangs around after group youth group because of when our, our youth group ends at six o'clock. So everybody's yeah. like jumping in the car to head yeah. home for dinner. And, and so he's like, I never get to play any of the music. So can I play some of that music before youth group too? And I was like, I just like, I was excited that he was excited about it. I said, okay, go ahead. And the first song he puts on is hotel California. <laughs> and it's like, living it up in the hotel California. And I'm like, maybe this isn't exactly appropriate when we're getting ready to go and do the stations of the cross. (laughs) (laughs) So I need to have another conversation. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, I think we need to, if modeling it is the answer, I think telling your story about that song that, that was important to you, I think makes a difference to students. Like I think the way we teach them to find good music and not to, to use overly simplistic categories of like only Christian music or only non-Christian music, I think is to tell the stories of the songs and the music that has affected you. Um, So for instance, for me, um, Five Iron Frenzy disbanded in 2002 and got back together in 2013. Um, And their um, 2013, they got back together and started recording an album that didn't arrive for another two years. And so um, in 2015, the album came out um, and it came out, um, actually it, it hit Spotify um, when I was at a, a Young Anglicans gathering in Atlanta. Um, and I, I remember this very well. I was at the, t- basically the tail end, start, starting to come out of what was an incredibly difficult sort of dark night of the soul for me. And the mm. first song on that album, I was so excited that it came out. Mm. Um and the first song on that album includes the line at one point. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of all of it. Um, one last night into a sea of troubles, I couldn't see you through the, or I couldn't hear you through the thunder's peal. My only hope is that you cannot not be real. And mm. that, that sentence, my only hope is that you cannot not be real. What was about as much faith as I was able to articulate at that point. And hearing that, in that mm. song at that moment was just incredibly valuable for me. Mm. That's um, really cool. And and the the whole album has a lot of those themes um, built into it that was really great. I think telling students like, does Five Iron Frenzy count as a Christian band anymore? I don't. I don't know. They they talk about Jesus and they talk about racism. So I don't like. I don't, yes. <laughs> no. I. Who knows? Um, Wait. You can't talk about racism and be Christian. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not make a successful. Christian There's record. another podcast that's topic. A, that's a yeah. Talk to talk to the hip hop artists who who find themselves not hired at brought back to Christian music festivals when they talk about racism. Um, we won't touch that third rail anymore. The but the, the gist is like I need in my own life to be willing to go and listen to explicitly Christian music to find liturgical folk to to find the stuff that is really good and God honoring and, and developing of my, my own spiritual journey. Um, 
and then tell the students about it. Um, mm. I think rules, my pushback on your before after youth group rule is figure out stuff that, that isn't on, like, I don't care about the, the label or the self-identification or who this gets marketed to. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> no, no offensive language that, that could offend someone. Um, and so you have to get the, the clean versions of songs if you need to, but then stuff that is, is quality and potentially stuff that has thought provoking stuff or, you know, try and push in that direction. That mm-hmm. feels like a better model for students. Cause we're saying grow up into faith. You will at some point in your life have to figure out how to select your own music choices. You're already doing that. How can I help you think through this process where, you're choosing to to allow the songs of your life to be songs that are um that grow your faith rather than than pull you back mm-hmm. and then who cares if it's who cares what what the label of the the song is in fact yeah. I'm even willing to say like it, if the song doesn't if the if the artist intended it one way but you receive it differently I'm sort of I think this is postmodern enough in my in my sort of art philosophy to say, even if the artist didn't mean it like that, if it affects you in this way, go for that. Yeah. So I, I like, I'm going to keep chewing on what you're saying there. Cause in a lot of ways, what I like is, is, is the formational aspect of what you're saying. And I, as, as I, as I talk to this student that I'm asking to be the DJ, I can, here's an opportunity for me to, help and assist him in his formation yeah. and in, as as he begins to learn what it looks like to discern the kinds of music that he's listening to um at the same time um this is going to get into another uh, another kind of whole topic but but the idea of certain things being sacred think things being mm. set apart so just from the standpoint of Music you would play before a worship service with the whole church versus music yeah. you would play, you might be willing to play at the end of a worship service with the whole church. Like suddenly that looks a little bit different. And maybe I'm thinking of youth group a little bit too seriously or whatever. But for my for the, the students in this youth group – in a lot of ways, for a lot of them, this is their church. It, yeah. And this kid that I'm talking about, this is the only church that he gets. Yeah. And so I, I do want there to be a sense that when when we gather as a youth group, uh, real time is a place that is set apart from the world. Mm-hmm. And Real like, time being the name of your youth ministry. Real time right. being the name of our youth group. And like Hotel California, even though there might be a message in Hotel California that's good— Mm-hmm. It's probably not necessarily gotten us into the frame of mind that we need to be in before we're going to approach the throne of grace on some level. Yeah, and that's I think that's an interesting point that any art has context and and value and certain mm-hmm. things belong in certain places and um yeah, I think that's an interesting way to look at it cuz I I have a little playlist that I just sort of it's got what 72 songs that's my generic, I hit it on shuffle, it, it plays in the background while we gather at youth group. Yep. Um, and then, typically for youth group, we move into a game. And so th- there's no concern for me that that music needs to usher anybody into anything. It, it's it's right. meant to be background music. Um, 
and it's all music it's all music that i like and i feel yeah. like listening to and maybe the students <laughs> like it as well um right. but there's a different question about like which songs belong as the sort of prelude to worship um yeah i've Actually, thought because because the music i'm talking about is before the game as well yeah so maybe i'm maybe i'm thinking of it too rigidly yeah I, i'll receive that I'll, I'll continue to process and pray about that but uh, i do like the i do like love your suggestion i'm receiving your suggestion of using this as an opportunity to form the students in the choices yeah. that they're making i um i have we do these music nights periodically where the students suggest songs or if they don't suggest enough i pick songs um and we listen to them and we just discuss them what's good true and beautiful about this um yep. what what do you feel like the song is saying we're sort of interacting with it you know dissecting it thinking about it um, I try in that process to have them think not just about the lyrics, but about the music. Um, yeah. I feel like every youth pastor just needs to read McLuhan's The Medium is the Message so they can start to understand the value of, of art as its own formational thing, not just the vehicle for the content. But um, I, I had thought before, like, okay, we do evening prayer. Maybe the songs they suggest, we could listen to them as part of evening prayer, which seems cool and integrated. And I've never been able to actually pull the trigger on that for the very reason you're saying that that, that spot is where we worship. Yeah. Um, and usually the songs are such that we're not picking songs that are worship songs. Cause those aren't, those don't necessarily make for fantastic discussion. Um, right. Or they could very easily become like, I'm nitpicking this song because you know, this is, this is not all that theologically accurate or, you know, you could, Right. You could spend a lot of time doing damage to your worship experience by mm -hmm. um, thinking too much about the songs. I don't like the way that sentence sounded. I, I know what you mean, I think. Yeah. Um, so they wouldn't fit in that evening prayer space right. because those, right. you know, those just don't belong there. Um, Regina mm -hmm. Spector may be great, but you, but this song doesn't belong here mm -hmm. because it actually, this is a time for worshiping um, and yep. this song isn't worshipful enough. Well, um, this is this is that worship time is a time set apart for things that are explicitly of Jesus. Yeah, we 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 are enthroning Christ on the praises of His people. Right. In this time, as we actually worship, or as we pray, or whatever, we we are coming under the lordship of Jesus in in an explicit way at this moment together, and and therefore there are things that are inappropriate. For yeah. that space and in that context, so I, I want to go back real quick, we, and we're we're about out of time. But yeah. uh, you say when you have your music nights, which I think is awesome, and I'm still trying to figure out how to make that a part of my youth group. But um, you say you talk about the good, the true, and the beautiful. Do yeah. you do you also talk about the bad, the false, and the ugly? So it becomes a little bit tricky. We I used to try and lead them through. Go like first, let's talk about beautiful. Then let's talk about um, true and then good. So first, let's just talk about the aesthetics of the song and the music video, if, if there is one. Then let's talk about the message it's saying, and then let's assess whether or not that message is good. Um, it became difficult when like someone would suggest a song and it's a song they wanted to listen to, and then you could say like, "I thought it was whiny and obnoxious." Like that's. <laughs> yeah. So I don't want them because it, when students yeah, are sharing we're just songs, insulting some, each other, right? I don't want to do that. So then. Then the beautiful part got dialed back to like, let's make sure we just talk about how the song's form accomplishes its message. And that kind of devolved into like, okay, let's just get to talking about the lyrics. So I've I've kind of lost some of that 
structure of beautiful, good, and true. Um, mm. We do, I try not to to dunk on any of my students' songs, but I do try and and do that assessment of like, okay, what is it getting across here? What, what are the valuable things here? How might that be difficult? Mm-hmm. Um, so last time we did a, a song night, there was, um, it was a song by like some YouTubers. So like, I'm not familiar with any of it right. at all, but it, right. the gist was, it's called Life is Fun. And the gist was sort of like, there's one person walking around being like, everything's a great day. Everything's going to be awesome. And then there's this like sarcastic person who's like, yeah, but we're all going to die. Yeah, but all your family are going to die eventually. <laughs> um, like, yeah, but there's poor people who are making those shoes you just bought. I mean, that kind of thing. And the, the yeah. end result was sort of like, well, but that's, you can't do anything about it. You just got to do the best you can. Like, okay. Um, and so we did then have a conversation about was the cynic correct? Is the best way to deal with these cynical comments to just say like, well, just do the best you can. Um, there was some assessing of the, is this actually good? Is this, yeah. um, or is this a true thing that you should listen to regularly? Like, is it good to be told this true thing all the time? Mm -hmm. Um, so we do, especially I try and pick songs if I'm picking it, that might be on the fence and have like, well, in this aspect, yes, but in this aspect, no. And then I'm not personally offended if they, you know, disagree with Mm -hmm. the, the content. Um, and do you feel like like if someone brings in a song that is so clearly bad, false, and ugly, and, and you somehow, as as you guys kind of analyze and work through the content, especially the lyrics of it, yeah, and you you come to this place of, yeah, this is not a healthy thing, not not a healthy way to look at things. Is that student going away with a sense of conviction, like? Oh, the the Holy Spirit has just used my youth group to call me out of listening to this song that is clearly not good. Or yeah. do they do they walk away feeling guilty because they love this song that is really bad and they're just they really want to listen to it? Yeah. So thankfully, we haven't had that exact experience. Okay. Um, okay. There, there was one time a student a number of years ago recommended the song, and it was clearly like just like a hateful like I hope like I'm angry at these people and I hope they all die or something i mean i i forget the content but it was like clearly both filled with profanities and just like a hateful song um okay and you listen to this song at youth group we didn't uh, i had a oh, cover okay. i was like I, okay, we're good. you know such and such we're not gonna you know Susie or whatever we're yeah. like we're not gonna listen to that song and it was sort of like i think you know we're not gonna listen to that song and i think you're suggesting this to try and be a bit inflammatory right now like let, yeah. let's let's talk about that yeah um that's the only experience i had on that front typically typically i'm trying to spin something good out of it um yeah <laughs> we're not getting into enneagram stuff but but my <laughs> my conflict averseness my, my sort of trying to keep everybody happy leads to that um yeah i i think however you deal with potentially objectionable songs has to be more in the terms of like okay, what is good about this? What do we disagree with? What is challenging? Not to say, yeah. not to say like, this is bad and you're bad for listening to it. Cause I think <laughs> well, there's actually the last very thing I want to do in, in as a youth group leader is to foment teenage rebellion, right? right? Which is exactly what that's going to do. Uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah I, I've used the framework in the past of um, art that is like always edifying. You should always listen to like, this is good. Listen to this all the time. Um, then there's stuff that's like, okay, there are some things about this that are good, but there, there are some things about this that aren't so great. And at some point you get to a a point where, okay, this, this, this is interesting and challenging and 
it's okay for me to hear, but it may not be the kind of thing I want to listen to repetitively so it starts to form me in that process. And then there's all the way to the other extreme, which like, this is terrible and I shouldn't listen to it. Like, like at, if we're talking generically art, like at, at one end, there's there's pornography, which is like, I, yeah. I, sh- I shouldn't engage in this even. Like, if I see this, I should run away from it. Like, I should go yeah, the other direction because art. this is this doesn't in any way do anything positive or does so much negative that it's not worth encountering even once. And I, right. I sort of try to help them think about that kind of a gradient. Like there are probably lots of songs that like, you don't need to run away from it if you hear it. And yeah. maybe you can even own it and listen to it every now and, th- and again. But if this were your favorite song that you listen to all the time, yeah. it would start to have a deformational effect on you. Um, and I think that's probably true for me as well. There are probably songs that like, it's fine for me to listen to every now and then, but like, like I probably won't try and add it to my playlists that I'm listening to all the time. Yeah. Uh, I, there's a whole other thing I can go into about that, but we're actually out yeah. of time and oh, I could keep talking about this all day as I probably could keep talking about most of the things we talk about all yeah. day, but we should probably wrap it up. I got a, um, I've got a prayer for a quiet confidence from the 79 BCP. I love it. O God of peace, who has taught us that in returning and rest we shall be saved, in quietness and in confidence shall be our strength. By the might of your Spirit, lift us, we pray you, to your presence, where we may be still and know that you are God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. Grace and peace, friends. Hey, what do you think? Get onto the Facebook page. Let us know what you think. Please, we, we want to hear your comments about the things we're talking about. Yell at us Grace for making peace, fun friends. of Mike, Michael W. Smith. Absolutely. Right, that's it.